there are a couple things that I want to talk to you guys about before we get into our interview with Taylor Scott this evening. We this episode is going to be going to sound just a little different. Uh, there's a, there was a ton of technical issues leading up to this, even to the place, even to the point that five minutes after the interview was scheduled, we I was finally messaging Taylor, going, "Hey man, I got it figured out." Uh, because I mean, I had a mixer that started smoking. I had to go diving into an old closet to find an ancient mixer. Uh, to be able to even record this interview. So if the sound quality is a little subpar, I do apologize for that. There are some moments in Taylor's conversation as he's talking with us that it's a little distorted. That's not on his end. That's on the capability of the, the mixer that I had to pull out of the Smithsonian archives. Uh, so it's you can hear it. It's okay. Uh, the quality's not great, so I just wanted to let you know that. Extend a little grace to us this time, if you wouldn't mind. Um, already got the mixer down at a place that's going to repair it for me, so give me a pass this one time, if you don't mind. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there has been a little bit of an uptick in the frequency of us releasing podcast episodes. That's due to a couple factors, but the main factor is our support from our friends at McFarland Murray Chevrolet and Grayson. They've come alongside of us, helped us to cover some production cost, help us to be able to make this more than just a passion project. So this allows us more time. This allows us more resources to be able to pour into research, uh, reaching out to people, and spend some more time in the recording and editing process. With having a sponsor like a car dealership, and the nature of podcast is that you don't necessarily always listen to it as soon as it comes out. It can become challenging when there are certain limited time only type deals, as is with the car industry, because what could be on sale now by the time that the majority of the people listen to this episode is, is no longer even maybe on the lot. But one thing I do want to encourage you to do is go to McFarlandMurrayChevrolet.com because regardless of what special they have going on, regardless of how late after the re- episode release that you're listening to this, the one thing that I can assure you of is that there will always be a great deal waiting on you at McFarland Murray Chevrolet. I'm, I'm a customer of theirs. I'm a friend of theirs. Uh, and just about anybody that you want to speak to who's ever done business with them in this community absolutely raves not only about their customer service, not only the way that they treat people, but also just the fact that they are folks just like us. So guys, please, if you're anywhere close to the Grayson, Kentucky area, I mean within hours of us, consider McFarland Murray Chevrolet. You can go on their website. Look at their inventory, check them out. You can give them a call before you make the drive, but I promise you, no matter where you're coming from, if you make the drive, it's going to be worth it to visit McFarland Murray Chevrolet. Billy, Linda, thank you guys so much for your support. For anybody out there who's kind of struggling through their, what I call corporate corporateness or your your workplace, and you're just kind of thinking, man, I'm never going to grow. I'm never going to get that next job. I'm going to be stuck here forever. And by the way, I can't stand my boss. Or if you are a leader 
um, out there and you are like, I can't stand my team. This is getting really, you know, monotonous. This is getting feeling really like menial. This book is for you. We're going to be speaking today with Taylor Scott. Taylor is a Graysonite. Uh, he was born and raised here in Grayson. He has authored a book about a year ago that came out called From Ball Games to Boardrooms. Uh, it's an excellent read. I'm going to not tell you too much about it. We're going to let Taylor tell you about it. Welcome back to Beyond the Walls podcast. I'm Ben James, your host. We're here today with Taylor Scott. Taylor is the author of Ball Games to Boardrooms. And just to go back a little bit further, uh, Taylor and I, we are from the same hometown, went to the same high school, played some of the same sports, and we won't go into great detail as to how many years. I am just a couple years older than he is, but but we won't dive too far into that. Taylor, man, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you taking the time to do this. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're, I mean, to, to your credit, I think you're only a year older than me. Okay, well, I graduated 96. I graduated in 97, so, so don't be so hard on me. Uh, okay, stuff. all right, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> now, if, if my hairline would just only cut me a little bit of slack as far as the, the way that I'm aging, that would, I would greatly appreciate that. But, uh, Taylor, won't you take just a moment and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, um, and then we'll get into talking about your book, all right? Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It's always great to hear from people from back home and connect, reconnect, with, with people from, from Grayson and Carter County. And, um, so yeah, I'm born and raised in, uh, Grayson, Kentucky and, uh, went off to college and to play basketball, played, played a little bit of baseball and soccer growing up, but, uh, wasn't very good at baseball. Soccer was too hard on my knees. Had to pick a sport. So, uh, basketball it was. And then, uh, just kind of left, left home and went to college in, in Lakeland, Florida, Florida Southern College and, and interned every, walked on. Walked on the basketball team there, Division II, NCAA Division II, and a uh, humbling experience. Made the Powerade for for a year, and uh, was a, was a great practice player. Um, but uh, but kind of hung them up after after the first year there, and and then just kind of started diving into working in the hospitality industry. Interned at Walt Disney World every summer in college, and and then uh, after after college, ended up. Um, at Walt Disney World for, for a leadership position in, in one of the Disney hotels at Walt Disney World, and then and then 9/11 happened while I was there, and and luckily for me there was another huge resort opening in Orlando around that time, and so I jumped over to Gaylord Palms Resort and was a housekeeping manager, and then a bell service manager, and then I had the opportunity to go back to Disney, worked in sales and marketing for, for almost three years before I left, and then went to graduate school up at the Cornell Hotel School. And kind of an MBA focused in hospitality, and then, uh, kind of always wanted to try out Vegas because for me it was always Disney or, or Vegas in terms of that entertainment and that hotel experience. So um, fortunate enough to land in Vegas for for about five years. Worked at Wynn and Encore, and then the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, and um, was there for until from 2000. Uh, bounced back and forth a little bit. 2008 all the way to 2014 and then 2014 moved over here to Southern California, took a job back with Disney uh, at 
the Disneyland Resort, and I led the sales team at Disney Vacation Club for about three years, which is Disney's version of Timeshare. I realized Timeshare wasn't really uh, going to be long-term for me. So uh, during the course of that little season, uh, I sat down and wrote, wrote Ball Games to Boardrooms, Leadership, Business, and Life Lessons for our coaches. We never knew we needed it. And then kind of took a little sidestep here over the course of about the last year and worked at a boutique hotel in South Orange County um, for the better part of this past year. And then, and then now I've kind of left that and uh, got, got a couple consulting things going here. And I've gone from dipping my toe into entrepreneurship. I got, I kind of got my whole left leg into it right now. So <laughs> right now I just have, have a lot of fun creating content and, and getting the message, uh, from ballgames and boardrooms out and about and just kind of seeing what seeing what's next. Awesome. Awesome. Now you actually, uh, we talked about this a little bit off air just before we started recording here. You actually have started your own podcast. Um, I believe it's named titled the same thing as your book. Is that correct? That's right. The ball games to boardrooms podcast. And, and I, I really don't know what I'm doing other than it's kind of neat to just kind of get in there. And well, you're on the right show it. then, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fun. It's fun. I'm in the process now of kind of doing what you're doing here and, and having some people on. And and all I'm trying to do with it is just kind of extend, you know, for those people that have kind of read the book or interested in the book or uh, or, or, the, or the messages in it, um, just want to extend that a little bit and just create this community of encouragement, which sounds like a lot about what, what what you're doing as well. Sure, absolutely. Well, before I get into before we get into really just kind of dissecting the book a little bit, um, you know, when you pick up um, the book itself, you know, and, and you look at it, I, I love that it's got a little bit of a uniqueness to it. You know, from the sound from the from the place that you're merging a little bit of two worlds together, uh, sports and leadership and business and you know, it, it's refreshing to me that, you know, th- this book is, it, it's got some practicality to it. It's got some life lessons, some leadership lessons, but it really is is narrative driven as you kind of take us along your history and how you've learned the lessons that you're conveying uh, in this book. So before we dive into some details of it, would you mind sharing with us just a little bit, And you, and you talk about this in the book, but for someone who hasn't read it, what what were kind of the steps leading up to you becoming uh, an author? Uh, you know, and, and setting down, putting pen to paper. If we're going to go old school here, and uh, and making this book a reality. Yeah, I had I had sort of landed in Vegas right after grad school, and then I, I was twenty eight years old living in Vegas, running an apartment at a big fine hotel, and I think I, I wasn't really ready. And, I went running back to Florida, where there's a little bit of comfort and comfortability there, to, to another job. And long story short, ended up losing that job. <laughs> and then the only place I could, only place I could find work in 2010, believe it or not, was back in Las Vegas. And and so I tell the story in the book, and, and I, I landed back there, and I remember like it was yesterday. My, my mom was helping me kind of get my new apartment set up, and I was just kind of like moping around. And it's embarrassing to think about now. It's a great opportunity. You know, got paid great money and was, of course, a great, a great property there. And my mom looked at me and she goes, you're, you're afraid to be successful here, aren't you? Because I didn't think that's where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so, so anyway, that little trip, you know, mom helps me, as she always does, to settle in and I start my job. Well, about a couple months into it, 
uh, it was a Sunday afternoon. I had the day off, and and I was sitting in my apartment, and I was still moping around because see, I wanted to land back in Orlando, where it was comfortable, where I could go back to Disney World, mm-hmm. where I thought I needed to be. I just kind of had this moment to myself sitting on the couch there in my new apartment in Vegas. I said, all right, I, I can mope around about this, so I can do something positive. And so I started a blog, and I called it the One More Step Revolution. And the idea around it was when you think you've done enough, the one more step for somebody or something. And that just kind of started it. And then I realized I kind of liked it. And then I realized, whoa, I, I kind of like writing. And then it became... I'm getting some responses from people that are living in like random areas of the country and people that I, I used to know back in the day are reconnecting with me. People I don't know are reaching out to me saying, Hey, thanks. When's the next post people at the cosmopolitan are like, dude, when, when are you going to post again? Can you, can you send me the link? And then I realized, okay, I, not only do I like writing, I like encouraging inspiring people through the written word and that led to speaking. And then so uh, short story longer, I just I just kept that up for the better part of four or five years, and then um, always knew I wanted to write a book after that. And, and so, ball games to boardroom was kind of like my first um, venture into uh, the author speaker world. And I, I chose the topic because I figured if this is gonna be my first book, you know, I, I don't really know what I'm doing and how to get started. I might as well pick a topic that I'm passionate about and that comes naturally to me. So that's where this thread between ball games and board games kind of comes from, and um, and the rest of history. Awesome. Well, one of the things that I really, really like about this because I, uh, yeah, I, I haven't read a great deal of of business books, but um, one thing I do read on a frequent basis is is leadership um, books. Um, I, I, I like to read just about everything that I can get my hands on from how-tos to leadership to, you know, faith-based to just basic spy novels because, you know, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be Michael Scorn, basically, is what I wanted to be, and it just didn't work out. Um, but one of the things that I, I really appreciate about this book, uh, from, from ball games to boardrooms is that you've got a little bit of everything. This isn't just a how to, I mean, you give how to steps. Uh, it's not just a book about business. It's not just a book about leadership, but you're kind of combining everything. And the one, one thing that always underscores everything that I read through it, and it seems to be a foundational theme is that you do not disconnect the value of hard work and the importance that that plays in being successful in different areas of your life. So, absolutely, I, yeah. I, I, would you would you just speak to that a little bit? Sure, sure, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, because I, I, I didn't really know how to get started, or, or you know, it takes a little bit of courage. I put yourself out there a little bit. And, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, spent, I spent a little bit of money on this thing, too. Uh, it's funny, when, when you're passionate about something, you know, that that's, when I talk about this in some of my keynotes and some of the other stuff that I write, is, is you know, emotion drives the purchase decision here. Um, and so, you know, you're passionate about something, so you don't mind putting some money into it. Well, well I got a book coach who, who helped me with, you know, milestones along the way and kept me accountable and, and really kind of taught me how to get started and then how to, how to see this thing all the way through. And so, so yeah, it's kind of a good thing and a bad thing, I guess, because since it was like my first go round at it, I, 
I just had all this stuff to say. I have all this stuff to, to just share. And I kind of, like you said, I kind of try to do it all. And I guess in some ways it's good, but in some ways, you know, some people tell me, bro, pick, pick a platform, <laughs> right? Pick a niche, right, pick a right. target market. Uh, so uh, ultimately, though, it, it's more so than, than hard work being sort of like a central theme. It, it, I always kept coming back, and the, the thing that really kept me going was to keep the main thing the main thing. And, mm-hmm. and that's just to kind of always, you know, be, be pointed towards, you know, kind of living the life that, that, that God wants us to live and, and being about helping and encouraging people just like our Heavenly Father is about helping and encouraging us. And that really drove me more than anything else. Great. Also love the fact that uh, while you don't, you know, you, you're not afraid in the book to intermingle your faith and what you believe and those concepts behind that, you're not afraid to do that. And you interject and insert that along various places throughout the book. But it, it's not something that, you know, I, I guess some maybe I'm trying to come up with the terminology and it probably just should say it that if if a non-believer or somebody or, or someone who's an atheist or doesn't believe in Christ, if they pick this up, they're going to they're going to catch the references, but it's not going to be a turnoff to them. There's still something that's very applicable and very practical to them uh, and they can utilize in their own life. So I just I think that's really cool. I, I personally, I believe you found a pretty good balance. I enjoyed um, the kind of the width of it that it wasn't just so central focused on one theme uh, that it that it hit all all different areas there, there's so many people that especially at the beginning of this process that, that just kind of warned me and then, and then we see it now with social media we talked a little bit about it off air before we started the social media i mean as, as evil as it can be it is it is amazing and it is a great opportunity but in the social media era now, you, you see so many people just trying to be something that they're not. And that's just ultimately not attractive. And so I just can't help it. I, I mean, we know where we grew up. We, we know that the values that are around there. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere in town. It's, it's how Coach Baker, you know, approached coaching. It's how our teachers approach teaching. It's how our parents approach bringing us up. So I just wanted to be me and, and, and share that with people. Yeah, that's great. We, um, you know, we we will just go ahead and, and address this because this just rolled through my mind again. But this, whenever it releases, is going to be uh, episode number forty four. And speaking about you know going back to uh, to our home area here and some of our history, uh, we both grew up playing ball, uh, all all forms of ball, baseball, basketball, uh, with with a gentleman who's now the the head high school baseball coach at all at our alma mater uh jeremiah Shear, number 44 um i don't know if that's ironic i don't know if that's scary inspirational i'm not really for sure how to classify that um <laughs> uh, I-, I think it's karma i really do <laughs> yeah well said well said and one of my values as a leader is that if if you're going to be a leader of leaders then you must first be a learner of learners, uh, and and you dedicate some time in your book to talk about you know talking about the process of learning and never stop learning. How has that how has that affected you in your journey, not only in the book but in your life of that continual lifelong journey of learning? Yeah, absolutely. And in a lot of ways, I can't help it because my mom was my kindergarten teacher, and then. <laughs> 
you know, my, my one one grandmother was my fifth grade math teacher, and my other grandmother, I didn't, I didn't. She retired before. I guess you and I both got up to the high school, but in my family, you kind of had no choice but to kind of, you know, dive into school and study and, and be a learner. And then my cousins and with, with, with Mona and everybody else. I mean, so I kind of grew up around that, but but more so getting into like college and then adult life it's kind of like you and i'm sure we all experience it it, it, when you think you have it all figured out the the next little mini season is usually one of you know god's way of reminding you that that you don't and so it's proving that you have no clue (laughs) correct correct because you start leaning on yourself and you start thinking you can do it alone and and you just don't you can't and i'm not you know i can't you can't nobody can so anyway, um, that, that's really where that came from. And, and the other thing is, is things are just continuing to change. Society's changing, technology's changed the world, and, and people are different, the generations are different. And so now, especially in corporate America, actually corporate America or even small business, now there are these communities, these workplaces, if you will, wherever we work. Whether you're working at a Fortune 100 company or or, or a small town, small business, now you've got this hodgepodge of people where you've got a baby boomer working alongside a Gen Xer who's leading a millennial, but then over here a millennial might be leading a baby boomer and a Gen Xer somewhere in between, and they've all grown up differently. And now more than ever, it, it, I love what you just said about a learner of learners because you, you can't just you can't just lead every single person the exact same way. Right. And you have, you have to spend the time and invest the time um, seeking to understand and connecting with people and engaging with people to really get them and how they tick. And then, then and only then are you able to, to sort of resonate with them in such a way. So that's almost like a prerequisite to start leading and coaching and directing traffic. Because if you try to direct traffic before you do that step, especially the millennial crowd and and i'm kind of like right on the borderline right like i'm i'm either an old millennial or, or a really young gen xer depending on what you read and i was gonna say that's, that's around decide. the 1978 77 78 birth year isn't it when they define that yeah i was born in august of 79 okay so like i'm like i i lean millennial mm-hmm. and and so I get it, and uh, I kind of have compassion for them, and I'm I'm kind of over the whole you know let, let's hate on millennials thing. Right. You know, you, you touched on it just now, but the next bullet point that I had here to make sure that uh, that we discussed is, and this is actually a, a lesson that that we learned from Jesus in Scripture, as so many things can be boiled down to. But you make a point to really spend some time and unpack basically the concept of whenever there are discussions, whenever there's confrontation, whenever there's disagreements or just any, I mean, in any type of interaction with people, just how important it is to carry the value of the connection that you have with that person remaining healthy, even if that means that you have to sacrifice being proven right. Absolutely. It's kind of that, that unleashed compassion section, right. yeah. I believe, where kind of go into, you know, the, there's a, a a chapter called Truth About Jerks and or, or a section called Truth About Jerks and then kind of goes into sort of like this, this secret weapon to fight the corporate fight. And that's, mm-hmm. 
to kind of lead with love. And, you know, we say that a lot and we, we use the word love a lot, but when you, when you dive into first Corinthians and what love really is, and you start to think about it in the context of leadership and actually doing that in between kept beyond the wall. When you still start thinking about doing that from Monday through Saturday or Friday where you work, that's a game changer. And it causes you to do things like not count the number of times somebody screws up, not count the number of times that bad things that they do or don't listen or to nitpick at them. And um, there was an article that somebody that I used to work with who I absolutely love and adore, uh, we've kept in touch and uh, you know how you, you have those special people in your life and wh- where you work. And I was actually one of her leaders for, for several years at, at Disneyland Resort. Anyway, she, she, she's from the Bay Area and she texted me this article about Steve Kerr and Draymond Green's relationship about how, how the worst day of their relationship, I mean, they almost came to blows uh, two years ago, I guess it was, um, at halftime at Oklahoma City in a game. I remember that was a playoff almost, game, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Almost fought. Like, they literally almost fought. So Steve Kerr had every opportunity to and and the Golden State Warriors organization, had every opportunity to write off Draymond Green because of the way that he acted, that one little momentary pride flare-up, as I allude to it in the book. And Draymond Green had every opportunity to totally write off Steve Kerr because he didn't believe, because he felt that Steve Kerr didn't believe in him, didn't believe he could shoot, didn't believe he, he, he should, you know, be a part of the offense the way that Draymond is. And, and Draymond could have felt that Steve Kerr, you know, didn't want to let him be him. But instead, Steve Kerr, did they let like two days pass? And it, this article unpacked it. It's an amazing article. I'll send it to you. Steve Kerr wrote him like this two-page or three-page letter. And the, and the first line of the letter was, I just want to let you know that I love you and I believe in you. And Draymond Green says he didn't even read the rest of the letter. Hmm. He threw it away. That's all he needed to know. And then from then on, Draymond Green knows that Steve Kerr is his advocate. And Steve Kerr knows that Draymond Green is going to go out and just dive after loose ball after loose ball after loose ball. Might be a knucklehead every now and then. <laughs> but, but when he talks, Steve Kerr understands and appreciates that's who he is. And the fact that Draymond Green needs to shoot a couple threes every now and then and needs to jaw at the opponent to keep him going. When you can appreciate things like that in one another, the boss, you know, you know, employee relationship or even partner to partner relationship, that connection is what it's all about. And too often, and this is one of the underlying reasons that I'm like, uh, I'm so passionate about, you know, these topics and want to help people and organizations, especially those up and comers like Draymond Green, quite frankly, who is a millennial, a creative, wicked, smart individual, but he gets a bad rap because of some of the things he does and says, well, that coordinator that's that's 31 that's in your organization who might might you know not be shy and speak up and speak his or her mind that 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 is a little bit edgy you know 
it's amazing what happens when you stop, call them in your office, and have a couple conversations. Do like the seven mile walk that Jesus does with people in mm-hmm. that one parable where he, he just where he's walking and all he does is ask questions. They yeah. just asking questions and asking questions, and then they're at dinner. And Jesus is like, all right, Pete, I got, I got, I got to roll. And they're like, no, mm-hmm. don't go, stay. That's kind of the, the point I think you're talking about, and and that's when you literally take like this menial, like hum drum, like like crappy situations at work, and turning turn them into meaningful situations. And those two guys love each other. Steve Kerr and Draymond Green. The rest of that article talks about how they'll be on a day off. And it'll be 11 o'clock at night. They're texting each other. Hmm. And so there's just, and you can see it. I mean, watching the game last night, I hated that. I hated that Draymond made that turnover last night and took his eye off the ball. And, and then, you know, Golden State loses that game. But, but, but in that situation, you can see it. Yeah. Steph Curry's on the, on the floor. Clay Thompson's on the floor. Kevin Durant's on the floor. And who they throw the ball to? Draymond Green. <laughs> Steve Kerr knows he's the heartbeat of that team. And, and because Draymond knows that, it inspires him to be, you know, who he has now become, you know, three, four time all-star. Uh, and then five years, four or five years ago, we didn't even know if he'd be able to play in the league. Yeah. Yeah. From a, uh, again, from a connection standpoint, you uh, quite, quite early, early on in the book, you kind of unpack a scenario that I believe that, that took place. I believe while you were at Disney, you said the first thing that come to your mind was, hey, I will I will just shoot this person an email. Then you decided against that and you, um, you know, said, oh, OK, I'll make a phone call. But ultimately, you wound up taking the time and making the effort and actually having a face to face with the person uh, for for someone who hasn't read the book. Can you just speak to the value of connection in that moment and in that story as opposed to taking maybe one of the simpler or more convenient ways of communication? Absolutely. I should have actually spoke to that a little bit before and talking about the blog and, and why I started the blog. Well, that moment right there, that story, that that day, I mean, I was like 20, I don't know, it was 20, 2005 or 2006. And so, yeah, I'm in my little optical and I, I just I needed I needed to to connect with a partner of mine. She was on the other side of the building. Yeah, instead of writing an email, I was like, oh, man, let, me, let me just pick up the phone and call her. And I'm like, no, she's just right over here. How about I literally just go one more step and go talk to her in person? And it, it really was. It was, like, it was like a scene in a movie. And I'm dramatic and I'm emotional and you know, I'm that guy. So. So I'm walking through the hallway and I'm like envisioning I'm on like this mo- in this movie where there's you know the, the the band's playing and there's this moment where you have this realization that oh my gosh, going one more step can literally change the game. So the idea and the spirit of it is is when you think you've done enough, when you think that that email is going to be enough, or when you think that that phone call is going to be enough, or when you think that you've cleaned the living room and that'll be enough before the wife or family gets home and then you decide, yeah, then I'll clean the kitchen as well. Or you read one chapter and and you think it's enough, but then you go ahead and read the next five. When you think you've done enough, going one more step for somebody or something completely changes the game. And and it's it's just this kind of sentiment of um, doing a little extra. I didn't invent it. I mean, going the extra mile, I mean, 212 degrees, like how many times have we heard it? Mm -hmm. But I'm just bringing it to light in a little different way. And, and just, and then the blog, one more step revolution back in the day, it was just kind of taking little, little sentiments and little topics 
Sometimes it's a mental one more step. Sometimes it's a physical one more step. And 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 it, it literally makes an impact on other people. And then what you realize is that when you take the focus off of yourself and do things for other people with that level of sort of intention and purposefulness, really what ends up happening is, is you end up finding so much more joy, so much more fulfillment, and so much more meaning in your own like day-to-day grind. That's what it's all about. Well said. Um, I'm going to just make this statement here. Always have a priority to understand instead of being understood. And I think that there are so many times that whenever we are um, climbing the ladder, so to speak, that we feel like everything has to be so agenda-driven and that we have to prove ourselves by our, our ideas, our work ethic, um, the results that we get when most of the time the biggest differences that you're going to make in in life is when you actually take the time to be understanding instead of being demanded you know being demanding about being understood would you would you agree with that oh absolutely i mean it's i mean it's one of the you know i mean i didn't invent that one either you know you or i didn't i mean stephen covey sure you know seven habits of highly effective people think it's habit number i think six or so yeah seek to understand before seeking to be understood and and now more than ever man it's just it's and and i tell you it's what kind of drove that for me? I put it in the listening chapter. Like there's four compelling reasons to listen. One of those is, is to gain an understanding. Because so many times, especially, you know, as an up-and-comer, you know, if you got game and you're you're in a situation where you have a boss or two or a partner or two that is insecure and you got game, then they're going to – you know, they're going to persecute you. They're going to talk down. They're going to be a jerk. And uh, then it becomes even more important for these conversations to happen. And, and that's really what kind of drove that is, is and I want to reach, I want to reach up and comers first and foremost with this book. And, and then as the book progresses, I don't know if you felt it or not, and this may have been a mistake, but it's just kind of how it kind of flowed is, I'm also talking to leaders of up and comers that you can't just, you you can't just, you can't just hit pause. Like when they're trying to tell you something, maybe they're not delivering it the right way. Maybe they're being a jerk at that moment. Well, there's probably a reason. Maybe somebody annoyed them earlier in the day. Maybe they're hurting because their grandfather's in the hospital. Maybe they're scared to death that they might have to move or maybe, maybe they're scared of something. And so it's up to you. You can either have an awful corporate culture and be at odds and have to win every argument and get the last word. Great job. You will have won that five minutes. But we need more Steve Kerr's. We need more people that will that will seek to understand and really find out what, what in the world is going on. And then people will appreciate it. There's just so many times where because cause that's kind of been me, right? I've been, I've been a young manager. I've been, I was a young director. And so you have these directors and vice presidents who, you know, are kind of like, they get scared. And so they'll like cut you off and pause you. And, and it's just, it's just gross. And so whether they like it or not, whether we like it or not, there's 92 million millennials becoming like the biggest generation now. Mm-hmm. 
And so I hate to break it to everybody, but millennials are the reason why you and I are on this podcast right now. Absolutely. Reason why we have Uber, reason why we have Facebook, Twitter, and the list goes on. Yeah. <laughs> so how about we connect with them and how about we, we understand where they're coming from. And before we understand, we have to, as I say in the book, follow the wise advice of Vanilla Ice and stop, collaborate, and listen. You know, if you were not going to say that, I was going to make sure that, I mean, because if there's no other selling point for this book, the fact that you quote Vanilla Ice in an inspirational way, that, that does lead me to the next area. My next bullet point here uh, is that you really, really stress the importance of listening and maybe even more so, and I don't even know if it, it's fair to say more so, but just being present. Because, man, there is nothing that drives me more up a wall than if I'm talking with someone, then all of a sudden that phone gets picked up and you can tell the moment that they check out and just become completely dismissive. Oh, yeah. So rude. And, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it. And oh, I, yeah. I can remember, like, I, I can remember another uh, moment like it was yesterday. The first time I moved to Vegas, my dad went with me. And so I, I get out of grad school. I'm a hot shot, 28 years old. Look at me. I'm going to be a director at Win Las Vegas. And my dad and I are at State Farm Insurance, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, changing my car insurance over. And the woman's trying to, like, talk to me while I'm texting on my phone. I mean, you, you talk about a halftime speech. My dad called me out big time as soon as he left that office. And it's been ever since then, I mean, that's 10 years ago now. So ever since then, you start to notice stuff like that. And, and I do bring that up in the book. And it's like, okay, I, I, I love you. I want to love you. I have compassion for you. And I know you're wicked smart, but, bro, you're not that smart. Right. To keep up with your, your Facebook feed, your Instagram feed, your Twitter feed, your personal email, your work email, and all your text threads, uh, while also having a meaningful conversation you know, with somebody, you just can't do it. Um, yeah, and then to, people just have to realize that, and by the way, leaders do it too. Oh, yeah. Le- leaders do it too. So, so nothing is, is as demoralizing as when you are an up-and-comer and, and you have these ideas and you have passion and you go into the boss's office and you're, you're like, you know, presenting your case or you're, you know, whether it's right or wrong, we all like to be liked. We all like to be noticed. We like to be known. And, and you just never know when somebody has really thought about something. Maybe they've, it's taken them two weeks to get up the courage to come into your office to, to bring something up to you. And while they're doing it, if you look at your computer screen or if you look down at your phone, you're just saying to them that they don't matter. Mm-hmm. You're saying to them that, 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 you know, you have other things to do. And my point in the book there and just in general is, is that's an ultimate sign of disrespect. And unless or until people respect you or tr- and or trust you, then you're not going to lead them to do anything at all. Okay, well, I want to make sure I, I honor your time. And um, is there – I got just a, a couple things before we wrap up, but I do want to give you the opportunity. Uh, it, it's hard to cover an entirety of – of a book in 40, 45, 50 minutes. Uh, but is there something that you feel like is, uh, that, that needs to be brought to our listeners attention? Uh, if they, maybe if this is their first time hearing about the book or if they've maybe seen some of the, uh, 
some of the publicity behind it, but have just not yet pulled the trigger and uh, and purchased it and invested in it. Is there is there something you'd like to speak into in regards to that? Oh, sure, sure. And yeah, for anybody that doesn't know, or maybe people do know that you know the book is out there. It's on Amazon.com. Um, and when I when I first wrote it and released it, almost a year ago now, uh, nine or ten months ago, a lot of people. Uh, and you know my, my my target market, right? The up and comer, and it's it's the kind of the the busy professional. They're like, oh sweet, you wrote a book, bro. Could you do the audio version? Because I really don't like to read, yeah. but I like to do, you know, podcast. As of three days ago, Ball Games to Boardrooms is available on Audible.com. And so, so for anybody that might be a little intimidated, I mean, it's only 182 pages as it is the book. Um, but if you more you're more a listener. Uh, an audible learner, if you will, that like to be entertained through that channel, then feel free to go to audible.com and, and download it. Um, it's uh, five hours and some change, and it's me narrating it mm-hmm. and just kind of telling stories and unpacking some of these principles and had a lot of fun doing it. Went up to Burbank, so I kind of felt like a movie star for a couple of days. <laughs> Going up there, getting behind the glass. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little um, but, envious uh, as you were posting to Instagram about the the microphone <laughs> and the setup that I saw that uh, that you were working with there. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. It was pretty sweet. And you know, I, Vanilla Ice was one thing, uh, but you know, I, I quote Garth Brooks, yes. I quote Jimmy Buffett. I wanted to sing those parts, and so you have a you have a producer who's like on the other side of the glass and. <laughs> And like a sound engineer, and they're like, "Oh, bro, you you can't sing them because you need a license to do that." I don't think Jimmy Buffett's going. You know, I don't think you can afford the you know the license for that. I was like, "Oh, my bad." So uh, it's still fun though. It's still fun. And no, I just wrote it from the bottom of my heart for one reason and one reason only. Uh, for anybody out there who's kind of struggling through their what I call corporate corporateness or your your workplace, and you're just kind of thinking man, I'm never going to grow. I'm never going to get that next job. I'm going to be stuck here forever. And by the way, I can't stand my boss. Or if you are a leader um, out there and you are like, I can't stand my team. This is getting really, you know, monotonous. This is getting feeling really like menial. This book is for you. And it's just ways that we all, me included, ways that we can all find a little bit more fulfillment, a little bit more meaning, and just a little bit more joy in our day-to-day work life. And the way I'm doing that is I'm just kind of using sports. The way that we all grew up, kind of whether you played it or you watched it, your favorite sport, I'm using sports to kind of help give us a metaphor. All those things that our coaches, and for us in Grace, Kentucky, we were lucky. We had we had, we had people, Coach Baker, Coach E, Coach Calhoun, Tom Bender, um, you know, Jeannie Stumbo and, and, and all these all these people that just kind of dedicated their, their lives, if mm-hmm. you think about it, to helping us grow. And, and the, the, the main part, the main thing I want people to take away from it is, and you and I are a good example, here we are. We are 20-plus years removed from growing up, learning all these principles when we were, you know, 16, 17, 15, 16, 17. Well, here we are 20 years later, we've taken these things with us our entire life. And now you and I are on a podcast sharing them, hoping that we teach, encourage, and inspire other people. Mm-hmm. So the point to that is, is if you are a manager, if you are a leader, wherever you are, from Wall Street to Main Street, is 
taking the time to understand people, to connect with them, and to really be their coach. There's a difference than being their manager. Because coaches care. Coaches, you know they love you. You know they want the best for you. And they're the ultimate encouragers. When you do that, you're giving people gifts that they, they potentially will take with them the rest of their life. And that is just very special. And when you look at that opportunity, wherever you work, when you look at that and, and, that, and that through that lens, your every day's changed. You just you go in there with a totally different mindset, and you do uh, you do different things that really make the difference, not only for other people, but for your ability to get through the day to day without so much frustration and stress. Yeah, that's good stuff. Good stuff, guys. the The book again is from ball games to boardrooms. Uh, we've been speaking with Taylor Scott. I'm I'm an old school kind of guy with I like to have the book in my hand, be able to feel the pages turning. But there's also something about an audio book that brings the words to life, in particular, whenever the author is the one who is doing the reading. And uh, as Taylor said, he does the reading in this audio book and it, it brings a new, um, you know, new perspective to the words that are written on the page. So. Uh, Taylor, before I let you go, man, what's what's next? What's on the horizon for you that uh, that you're excited about? Well, I'm excited. I'm going next week to Book Expo America up in New York City. And I, I uh, wanted to go last year, but uh, just it was a little early in the process. And so um, this year I'm going. And I'm, I'm going there with a few, a few other authors who are sort of on um, – Beyond Publishing is the is the publisher that that I chose to go with, you know, out of the gate for this book. And so we're going to be there, and it's an opportunity to just network with sort of all things, you know, author and book space. So distributors and um, and, and going to different workshops, and then I'm going to be interviewed um, at our booth and on red carpet, and then I'm going to do book signings and and really just connect with people who are interested in this kind of a thing and. And so the, the, the point of going is just to kind of bring some awareness to the book and, and, and get the word out. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, in the process of working with a few potential other clients on uh, some speaking opportunities. I love, I did one in February and working with a number of other folks who are thinking about having me come speak to their teams and speak to their organizations and inspire them and just kind of encourage and, and sort of build community with them. So very excited about all that. And then, um, just kind of taking things one day at a time for once, enjoying the season. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, guys, again, the book is from Ball Games to Boardrooms. Uh, look it up, download it, go buy it, get the audio book. You won't be sorry. I can promise you that. It, it is really a captivating read, and it will uh, it will motivate you and give you some real practical tools in, in how to uh, just be a better you, first and foremost, I think, and be able to uh, develop and enrich relationships, whether it's at work or at uh, school, in your household, wherever you're at. Taylor, again, man, I appreciate you taking the time coming on and talking with us. Um, hope that your trip to New York, uh, just you, you knock it out of the park up there, man. I appreciate it, man. Right. Thanks so much for reaching out.